All right. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So, all right. So we got an exciting day. Um, got a lot going on here. I was asked. Uh, actually, three people asked if they could uh, share an announcement. So I'm going to get right to it. Um, so if I will, I'll invite Lance up uh, to share with us and uh, um, share with us a brief announcement. So thanks. Yeah, thanks. So early, I forgot to check my fly and make sure everything's in the right place. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Great to see you. Lance Ledbetter. Um, had the pleasure of knowing Jason, as Scott, as probably many of you do. Very appreciative of what he does in the youth group. I have three boys, so obviously, selfishly, I'm very plugged in. It's an honor <coughs> to be of assistance uh, with, with his efforts and, the, and what they're establishing over there with the youth. It's amazing what he's doing. Um, and then uh, I'm going to ask Jason to speak a little bit later, but he'll tell you about some, a couple of things going on. I'm here mainly to speak on behalf of Chrysalis. For those, if you would raise your hand, who's participated in Emmaus? Okay. I know uh, several of you who have understand that it's all about the fourth day, right? Paying it forward. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that I appreciated from the standpoint of it challenged me. It, it, um, it got me going. I was... I don't want to say I was sitting on the sideline, but I wasn't plugged in like it should be plugged in. And it may have certainly kick-started me again and got me going. So in that respect, um, being a part of a family with three boys, uh, Chrysalis really caught my attention. Chrysalis is the youth version of Emmaus, for those that don't know. Okay, And I'm just going to read something actually from their website. And of course, now I can't find my glasses, so it's going to be fun. But uh, Chrysalis name was chosen for the youth and young adult version of the walk to Emmaus. Its parent movement, uh, because it symbolizes spiritual growth, is essential between adolescent and adulthood. That growth is a, is a crucial to youth as a cocoon is a caterpillar. It is precious time for nurturing a person's faith and discipleship. For those that have kids, certainly appreciate the challenges with adolescents and what they go through mainly in high school. Um, we're blessed. Uh, my eldest son, bragging a little bit, got his Eagle Scout. He was very plugged in and uh, just like really appreciative of Joe Bushman and his efforts and involvement in the youth program as well. And I really want to introduce Joe at this point. I had the pleasure of uh, sponsoring Joe at a Chrysalis event. They, they call them uh, flights. And uh, this was this past summer. And I uh, had the pleasure of meeting his uh, family and. uh it was quite an amazing experience to get to know him. For those that uh, are tech fans, you'll be proud of this kid. Uh, he's, uh, I think, you're, it's a, when is it that you're expected to hear a word? January 14th. So keep him in your prayers for January 14th. He's hoping to hear approval for uh, Georgia Tech. He is a senior at Wheeler, and uh, he has um, two sisters and a brother. You're the youngest, right? Yeah. So, but he's an amazing kid, and uh, very appreciative opportunity to introduce him. He's going to tell you a little bit about his experience. So, as uh, Mr. Ledbetter said, uh, he gave me the opportunity to go on Chrysalis this summer. He actually just texted me, what, maybe three weeks before the experience, said, uh, would you like to go on this? And I had no idea what it was, but uh, thinking that it was placed right in front of me, that I should do it, that it was... Uh, divine intervention that that's where I was supposed to go for that weekend so I said uh sure and chrysalis was probably 
the most amazing and transformative, what, weekend of a Christian retreat, whatever you want to call it. We do things here such as AYL and uh, mission camps during the summer, and those are amazing and you make a lot of friends. But Chrysalis was a time to escape from everything, all the wor- worries of the world. <clears throat> you go there, maybe 11 guys in my flight. I was in flight 88, Yak 65. So there were 11 guys that I had never met, and it's a time just to open up because you have no prior judges on these people. You don't know anything about them, what they're like um, at school. So it's a time just to open up. Uh, to each other about everything and when you walk in no one wants to talk to each other uh, just because you're 11 teenage guys in a place that you don't know and you don't know what time it is you don't know the score of the latest sports game you don't know anything but by the end of that first night you're making connections and by the last day you guys are brothers and you want to do everything together so I think Chrysalis for me was really just a transformation of this idea of not making everything so knowledge-based in my faith, but making it more heart-based and making these relationships with people and um, knowing that God really does love me and that I should love God. You also learn a lot from the lessons uh, in Chrysalis. It's just a whole learning experience, but I think mostly it just changes who you are um, what you want to do. The He was talking about the fourth day, and I know now that with my fourth day, um, I'm trying to start like a boys uh, fellowship group at my school and some surrounding schools, and I'm wanting to go on a Honduras mission trip this summer that um, is being offered at this church. Thank you. So I won't belabor it. Um, I, again, very proud of my sons, but getting around Joe, being part of Joe's life a little bit, uh, it was honor getting to know him and be a part of that experience. That said, our objective here is to pay it forward. And from my perspective in working with Jason, Jason was helpful in plugging, um, plugging this one in. And um, with that, the objective is to identify opportunities. There are Two flights, one for uh, women, for female, one for male, each winter, and the same for each summer. So our objective here is to continue this effort with the youth program and do two uh, at, at a minimum uh, for the winter and two in the summer. And as Jason, if you don't mind, come up real quick. But the Jason's perspective, and I agree with it, is there's a much better chance that if you can get two people to go together and, you know, that have a common relationship, much better chance that you get them to step up and participate. Plus, on top of that, the opportunity that they can continue to share and be a team together to spread the word. But anyway, Jason, go ahead. Thanks, Lance. Um, I know there's other announcements and speakers and everything. We won't, um, as Lance said, belabor too much. But it's very important. As you see what it's done with Joe, Joe was already there. Um, but as he said, it was mostly heart, I mean, mostly head for him. Uh, for it to transform to his to his heart and really understand that is a big deal. Um, he is also leading a middle school Bible study right now. He's one of our teachers that is teaching every Wednesday night for our middle school Bible study. So um, he is going to help me in finding new uh, caterpillars for the flights. Uh, he'll he'll help me 
direct and talk it up and point to people. But what we need is for you guys. We need um, commitments that, one, that you will um, pray for these kids as they go. We'll let you know when they're going on these flights. Um, but two, that financially that we might can get them to uh, to pay for these things. We're looking to try to send uh, at least four a year uh, to these Christmas flights. So it would be a total of about $400 a year commitment. Um, Tim's already, we've already been in contact with Tim. He's already, his Sunday school class, maybe your Sunday school class, maybe the men's group, whatever it is. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but it really is a big deal to these guys. And, and in Emmaus, you know, has to pay it forward. You're, you're sponsoring somebody else and they sponsor somebody. That's the way it works. It's hard to ask a six, 17 year old to pony up the money to, to forward that. So, so we want to be able to allow them to do that when they forward to other people. Okay. And so he'll help us that process. But I, Emmaus as well, um, uh, Walk 238, Table of Thomas, North Alabama. So uh, I, I get it, and I've, I'm very proud of the Emmaus community. We haven't done a whole lot since I've been here with it, but I know that there is a a underlying Emmaus community in the in the church that I know would really support this as well. So um, any support we can get would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Yeah, if it's okay, Tim, we coordinate for you for communication on this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Guys, Tim. thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank Rogers, you. If you have any input, appreciate it. That's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Jason. Let's give it up to Joe. And, and uh, connection to that, he mentioned a mission trip to Honduras, and I think uh, Craig wanted to mention a little bit about that as well. I'll keep this one quick, but I just want to make sure everybody knows about what we're doing in Honduras and starts thinking about how you might plug in or at least get the message out. Uh, Several years ago, we joined forces with Lunches for Learning. Our church took on the sponsorship of a school lunch program. That lunch program, and it's in southern Honduras, it's in a mountainous community. It is so remote, it's unbelievable how how difficult and how impoverished this community is. And we took on the, uh, the responsibility to feed lunches every day that a kid comes to school, uh, and there's 150 kids in this particular school. And... Uh, by, by feeding them a lunch every day, by providing a lunch every day, these kids stay in school. Prior to our entry into that particular community, most of these children were dropping out in the second and third grade so that they could find a way to feed, their fam- to feed themselves or to help their families survive. Uh, I just returned from a celebration of graduation at eight of these schools, one of them including ours, uh, to hear over and over and over again the teachers, the parents, and the principals say, if you weren't here, these kids wouldn't be graduating. Uh, we're making a huge difference. And in the last two years, we've been building relationships at that school, uh, trying to figure out how we can do more. My vision has always been that we have so much talent, so much experience here, that when somebody goes and experiences and builds a relationship at our school, they say, there's so much more that I can do. And that's what happens, is we do more. And so that's what's happening this year. Uh, we've joined forces with an organization, miraculously, <coughs> that we discovered the, that is building buildings in the schools in our region. And they are totally familiar with our school and our community. And this year, and what they do is they build buildings and they, uh, and they do it in a mission form. We needed to make a transition so that what we were doing in our trips really reflected our faith even deeper and allowed us to get closer to these folks. They are organizing, there will be three trips this year going to Honduras. 
and uh, they'll be coordinating that, and the purpose of these trips is to build a middle school. Because of our presence at this school for these last two years, they have now gone from a sixth grade finish, where the kids had no other place to go, to ninth grade. We're getting a ninth grade teacher this year. We're working on temporary housing for the classrooms, but we're going to build a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade building, and we're going to do that working with the community. The community will actually do a bulk of the building, and we'll make three trips this year to, uh, to participate in that. The key here is we've got to get as many folks from our church involved in this program as we can. When you go and spend time, you are changed. You are absolutely changed. So there's three trips going on. Uh, I want everybody here to think about, is this a place for me? And get the message out to other people that we know. We're going to do one in April. Uh, April trip will be mostly a, uh, an adult trip. Jason's going to join us on a trip in July. And if you need the dates, I'll have the dates. Uh, and then the last trip we will do is in November, which is the graduation trip. And that hopefully will be a time that we will be celebrating a completion of a building or finishing that building as well as celebrating graduation. Amazing experience. I have a short video I'll play after, and I'll, I'll stay here after the meeting. Anybody wants to learn more about what we're doing, please stay for a few minutes. See a, a very short video that comes from this last trip that we just did. Greatly done. It explains everything about what we're doing. Uh, hang on a little bit later if you're interested at all. Thanks. Thank you so much. <coughs> Tell Craig's fired up about that at all. <laughs> Tell you they were uh, we're reading study in Acts right now and they're talking about it's like you can see you can see when the Holy Spirit is in somebody they're on fire right you can see you can see that Craig's got that glow so well I'm excited to hear from uh, Dave Mueller uh, this morning um, I want to thank Roger for uh, recommending that we reach out to Dave. Yeah, sorry, Roger, couldn't find it. Yeah, you so you can blame Roger, Dave. Um, so, but uh, a little bit about uh, a little bit about Dave. He's been married to Sherry for 45 years. He, they have uh, two children, Derek and Lindsay, and four grandchildren. Um, he's lived in Atlanta for 38 years, but was originally from St. Louis. I uh, graduated from the University of Missouri, um, an engineering degree, and then I uh, received an MBA from Harvard. And so he was able to quickly. Uh, identify my accent this morning, um, but uh, he, he and then uh, he retired as a VP of operations from the Lincoln Electric Company. So um, very involved in the church. Uh, Roger uh, told me just how much he enjoyed uh, Dave's teaching. Um, he's come from a Lutheran tradition, uh, tradition and uh, came to him and his wife came to REMC in 2013. Um, they've been teaching adult Bible studies for over 30 years, so it's pretty amazing. Um, he served four terms as president of congregations, three terms as evangelism outreach chairman, as well as time on stewardship committees, pastoral service committees, and church administrative council. And uh, I know we have some members of the choir here, he, and he's uh, sung in choir for 20 years. So um, so with that, I'd like to invite Dave to share with us this morning. We look forward to, uh, I love the title of uh, his talk, which I'll let him share with you. We look forward to uh, hearing from him. So thank you, Dave. Well, thank you, Tim, for those kind words this morning. Um, yeah, first of all, the title of my talk um, is going to be a staff meeting with Jesus. Okay, so we're going to have a staff meeting here this morning. Imagine the anticipation and the excitement 
that those first 12 disciples must have felt when Jesus gathered them together for their first staff meeting. Uh, Jesus had selected his cabinet, so to speak, his 12 disciples, and they were following him, and crowds were gathering around Jesus early in his ministry. He was healing all the sick, all the diseased people that were coming to him. He was healing them. And people were coming from many miles around, traveling to see this carpenter from Nazareth who was doing these miraculous things. They were coming from Jerusalem and east of the Jordan River, from Syria, from all over to see this person. Who is who is this person? Jesus of Nazareth. And the disciples were witnessing all these things. They saw the power. They saw the miracles. And they're probably saying to themselves, well, gee, this is going to be good. I'm part of the inner circle. I'm part of the cabinet. Here's the Messiah. Perhaps he is the Messiah. Perhaps he's the chosen one to restore Israel to its former position of world domination and glory. Maybe he's the one. And if he's the one, then we're in the inner circle. We're in the cabinet. We're in. So you can imagine visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. You know, what's in it for me? Who's going to be, who's going to be the secretary of defense? Who's going to be the secretary of state? Let's see what's going to happen here. So you've probably been involved with staff meetings like this when the new CEO comes to town, a new department head, um, or perhaps you've given meetings like this. What what kinds of things would you expect to cover in your first staff meeting with a new leader? Anybody? You've been through introductions. Introductions. Expectations. Objectives. Objectives. Expectations. Visions. What your visions? Oh, that's. Probably your keyword, isn't it? <laughs> that, that sounds like it's got a corporate ring to it. It does. Well, we, it was a staff meeting. So. Okay. We had uh, SWAT. Uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I wasn't going to bring that up, but thank you for reminding me. Yeah, there's, hey, let's talk about strategy here. How are we going to kick out the Romans? How are we going to go about this? Here's here's the Messiah. He's the long-promised one. He's got the power. Let's talk about how we're going to do this. Well, fortunately, we have the minutes of that first staff meeting available to us. You believe it? It's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's the first staff meeting that Jesus held. And we've come to know that as the Sermon on the Mount. That's the minutes verbatim of what Jesus told his disciples and us in that first staff meeting. Now, I spent 23 years as a vice president of operations for the Lincoln Electric Company. And uh, for those of you that may not be familiar with the name, it's an old line manufacturer. It's a global leader in the manufacture of welding equipment. It goes back to 1895. And I've tried in my position to follow the instructions that Jesus laid out in his staff meeting. And this morning I want to share with you three experiences that that I had personally as a result of trying to be Jesus' disciple where he had placed me. Now I first want to tell you that I relate my experience humbly to you this morning. 
in no way do I want this to reflect on myself. I wanted to reflect on the glory of God and what God is able to do with a weak and sometimes reluctant disciple like myself. All the glory goes to him. And I hope that through sharing my experiences that there will be someone here this morning that will be led by the Holy Spirit to look at your job, to look at the position he's placed you in relationship to your friends and your relatives, people you've worked with, that maybe there'll be an opportunity that he places in front of you to be his disciple in a special way. And when Tim called me about this, that's what I was thinking about. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that might be moved by the Holy Spirit uh, like perhaps I was. Well, Jesus began his meeting with a shocking opening, certainly not what they were expecting. Those guys were really surprised. He started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. That's how he began. So you can you can just feel these disciples and, and get in their shoes. They're saying, whoa, stop right there, Jesus. This isn't what we had in mind about this staff meeting. What, what's this you're telling us about meekness and mourning and persecution? That's not what we signed up for. That's not what we want to hear. Jesus, if you're, if you're our king, then you're ushering, ushering in a most unusual kingdom, a most unusual kingdom. But here we are in the 21st century now, and we're his disciples. We're on his staff. We work for Jesus, and how does this apply to us? And I was asking myself, how does it apply to me? And it became more clear as I read through Matthew chapter 5, read through the minutes. It became more clear when I got down to verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's food for thought. If you've lost your saltiness, not much good is going to happen. You are also the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, there it is. We are to be salt. We are to be a purifying agent, a preserving agent of Jesus' teaching. We are, be a, we are to be a light to others. We are to show others the way, to be salt and light. Well, I was wondering how in the world could I be salt and light in a manufacturing company in a corporate environment, what in the world is Jesus going to do with me as his disciple in this situation? Well, my first opportunity came along soon after I took the job. And being in charge of operations, I was uh, in charge of manufacturing and engineering and logistics, which included purchasing and warehousing and inventory management and those kinds of things. And I managed plants uh, in Ireland 
and Poland and uh, in Mexico, here in the United States and right here in Gainesville, Georgia. And then I had indirect responsibility for a plant in Italy as well. And in one of my first visits to the plant here in, in, in Gainesville, I uh, was taken on a tour and uh, they took me to the maintenance department to see the inner workings, the bowels of the plant. And you never know what you're going to run into in a, in a maintenance department, in a manufacturing plant. Uh, those of you that have been involved in manufacturing, sometimes it's chaos and sometimes it's well organized. And, but usually there's some old grizzly guys there that have been around a while, and but they know what they're doing, but they're grizzly veterans. Well, I walked into the uh, maintenance department, and uh, the first thing I saw were Playboy pictures along the walls and Playboy calendars, and uh, I tried to get over my initial shock at seeing that, and we exchanged pleasantries for a while and, uh, you know, uh, broke the ice a little bit, and then I, I said, well, fellas, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to take these pictures down that uh, I know you've had them up all along, but uh, I, I find that offensive. And I'm sure people in this plant find that offensive. And I'd like for you to take those down. And they did. They were not happy about it, but they did. And the word got out in the rest of the plant. Of course, the women in the plant were very pleased to hear about this. Uh, the maintenance department was not very pleased. And uh, there was one fellow, he was a Vietnam vet, I'll never forget it, I think he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, I worried about him because he was not at all happy with me. And I always wondered, is he going to come in one day and with a gun? And uh, so that was always in the back of my mind because the reception was not good there, but it was good throughout the plant. And the word got out, who is this new guy? Who, what, what is he doing? Why is he invading this space and saying and doing these things? Well... Uh, another opportunity came along shortly thereafter. Uh, now, this was in October when I was introduced to this plant. And uh, Christmas rolled around in December, about this time of year, actually, a long time ago. And uh, as was their custom in this facility, they had a really nice uh, potluck Christmas lunch. And everybody brought in their favorite dish, and, and the custom was to include... Uh, service awards and that, so it was a real feel-good type setting. And uh, I decided to take an opportunity with that and I asked one of the young fellows if he wouldn't say a, a blessing before we ate, and he did. And he closed the prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, which I was very happy about and, and surprised, but very happy. And I had also asked a couple of people if they wouldn't lead us in Christmas carols. And they did, and they were very happy about that. And so I pressed my luck a bit, and I decided to recite the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. In that same country, there were shepherd, shepherds abiding in the fields, etc. And I was looking at the expressions on the people's faces, because I didn't know how they were going to react to all this. And I could see smiles, and I could feel the positive vibe there. Now... I'll tell you that it only takes one in a group to muck up the works. And I knew I was taking a chance with this. The Human Resources Department in our corporate headquarters in Cleveland had set up a worldwide hotline 
where people could call in from all over the world and complain about whatever they wanted to complain about and report any kind of problem or real or perceived and uh and and big deals came out of this okay and i had in the back of my mind uh oh you know i'm taking a chance that i'm i'm taking a chance talking about christmas and the meaning of christmas in this setting but lo and behold there were no phone calls there were no comments to our internal personnel department nothing other than positive reinforcement to me saying, Dave, I'm glad you did that, you know, quietly coming up to me and, and thanking me for that. Now, some people might say, well, Dave, you really got lucky with that one. You got away with it. But for me, I saw the hand of God at work in that. And, and I don't know about your experience with how God works, but my experience is that God works in a very sublime, majestic, quiet, unexpected, sometimes unusual, and unplanned way that we couldn't have foreseen. And where you know, aha, that's your aha moment, where you know the hand of God was at work. And I really believed it in that setting. Salt and light, that's what I was trying to do. And these were small steps, admittedly very small steps, but they did lay they began to lay a foundation for how people perceived me as a Christian and how they expected the expectations of people of how I was going to speak and act and how they would be dealt with in this particular facility. Now, I'll warn you about this, that once you start down this path and you set certain standards that you've got to live up to them, that now you've, you've got to be reflect. Christ to people, and that means you've got to watch your language. You've got to watch watch what you say and do, because everybody's watching. But that's a good thing, because it stopped me in my tracks on a number of occasions when I knew people now were their expectations were very high. I had to increase my expectations of myself. The second application I wanted to share with you was with one of my peers. And uh, this uh, hit home to me from another passage from chapter 5. It was beginning at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is telling us to love our enemies. And Jesus is talking about agape love here, where we are to show goodwill to others, even those that might be our enemies, to show benevolence and kindness and want the best for them. Well, this was a tough order for me with one of my peers. He was the vice president of sales and marketing. There were three of us VPs. There was a VP of finance, a VP of sales and marketing, a VP of uh, operations, myself. And this guy 
was out to get me. I didn't know why. I couldn't figure out what had I done to this guy. Never did, never did figure that out. But he was just out to get me. He would stir up the pot. And I know there's some sales professionals in here. And, and I apologize to all of you guys because I, my son's a sales professional and, and it's a very honorable profession. But this guy didn't do it any justice at all. And he had some guys in the field that stirred up the pot for him. And, uh, to put the best construction on that. They just didn't tell the truth, okay? And uh, I could count on about once a month, his name was Chuck. I could count on Chuck stirring up our CEO in some real or perceived thing that he trumped up. And I, it usually happened on a Friday, and they, I could hear him coming down the hallway that Chuck had gotten Pete, the CEO, stirred up, and there was going to be trouble, Okay. And usually it was something that could have been uh, satisfied with a phone call or just, you know, as a misunderstanding or something. But, but Chuck was just out to get me. And I kept thinking about this, love your enemies, love your enemies. What's Jesus, what is Jesus, how does he want me to act in this situation? And another passage haunted me as well, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because my natural inclination was to come back and counterattack. Okay, that's what you do. Protect yourself. Protect. Pardon me. I've been there, done that. Okay, you you sympathize with the situation. Well, uh, it was very easy to become a victim in this situation. But this went on for a long time, and the CEO started to catch on to what was taking place here. Um, but along came the recession of two thousand and one. And uh, that's what, this was the tech bubble, if you remember. And uh, Alan Greenspan called it uh, the period of irrational exuberance, remember? <laughs> and uh, you might recall the NASDAQ falling from 5,000 to 2,000 in just a couple of months, and then it ended up at 800 um, by 2002. It was a disaster. Now, we weren't a tech company, but we were caught up in the recession. <clears throat> and... Uh, we were asked to respond to that and come up with plans to uh, cut costs and do what we could do to to uh, right-size ourselves and, and respond to what was going on. That's what you do, okay? <clears throat> got to satisfy those shareholders. Okay, well, we were, take, we were supposed to go off-site, and we were to give our plans of how we were going to respond. And so I was very proud of my plan. I had... Ideas for product changes and new products and cost reductions and a little bit of reorganization. And it would have gotten us where we wanted to get to. And then it came time for Chuck to present his plan. And Chuck said, well, I think we're in sales and marketing. We're just going to stand pat. We're just going to continue doing what we're doing. I'm happy with where we are. And I think if we just stay the course, that everything will turn out just fine. Well, that kind of stunned the audience, no plan. So then it came back on operations. It was, I was going to have to make everything right, okay? Well, shortly thereafter, a few months after, it was announced that Chuck was going to be taking an early retirement, an unusual, unplanned early retirement. And I just said, thank you, Lord. Uh, I couldn't have planned that. I didn't foresee that. But it turned out pretty good. 
because I, you know how easy it is to become a victim in a corporate environment. You know, enough people pound on your head and you get, you know, you get pounded in. Didn't happen. Now, I was sitting next to Chuck at his retirement luncheon, and that was telling because usually when a person of notoriety retired, it was a retirement dinner. Yeah, this was a retirement lunch, so that signaled something. <laughs> and I was sitting next to Chuck. Just so happened at his retirement lunch. I said, Chuck, this was quite a su- surprise to all of us that you're taking retirement so early. And he said, yeah, I'll never forget this. He said, yeah, Dave, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Know when to walk away and know when to run. So he employed, that's the first time he'd opened up to me about anything. And he implied a, a verse from Kenny Rogers as to what <laughs> happened to him. But uh, some people might look at this and say, well, Dave, you got lucky again. That uh, you just are leading a charmed life, aren't you? Because you could have been easily a victim in that circumstance. Yeah, that's true, except that's not how I see it. That to me, that was another aha moment where I was trying to do what Jesus taught us to do, not knowing what the outcome was, but I saw the hand of God at work in a very unexpected, unplanned way in my life. Now, the third application I want to share with you uh, came from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And, of course, people in authority, you have an opportunity usually to show mercy or to not show mercy. And there was another related passage for me from chapter 7, verse 12. In everything do to others, as you would have them do to you, this is the law and the prophets. You're probably saying to yourself, yes, the golden rule is actually in the first staff meeting. Jesus taught us that in the first staff meeting, the golden rules right there in chapter 7. Well, through the years of my career at Lincoln Electric, I had to make many decisions. And through those, had the opportunity to build confidence in the people that work for me, that Christian, Judeo-Christian values and ethics were going to be applied in circumstances as best I could. And they came to rely on that and rely on me and, and cause me, I think, to be more what Jesus was asking me to be in that situation. So whether it was terminations or disciplinary actions or... Um, implementation of robotics, which affected people's jobs, that I tried to show mercy where I could show mercy, and people came to know me for that. And again, this wasn't because of me. It was because of God working through me. Now, I think this was all laying, all these decisions tend to be cumulative. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was laying a foundation for what was to lie ahead for us. It was uh, 2008, and the Great Recession started. Now, we had managed through the recessions of 1991 and 2001, but this was the big one. This was the big one for us in 2008. Um, I'm sure all of us lived through that. Uh, Unemployment skyrocketed to over 10%. The foundation of the financial industry was shaken. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, if you recall. The automobile industry was on its heels, going bankrupt. 
pardon me. And and it was a mess. And uh, all of us were involved in that. Even if you were retired, you your 401k and your IRAs took about a 57% hit during that period of time. It was it was bad for everybody. Well, our company was hit like everyone else, and I was told to my initial cut was to be 15% of the workforce, which I really struggle with. How could I be merciful and show mercy in this situation? How could I do to others as I wanted to be dealt with myself? Certainly, I didn't want to lose my job either, and I know nobody else wanted to lose their job. But how could I be merciful? Well, I think God planted this idea in my head. I wouldn't take credit for it at all. But the idea was, why not give people the opportunity to take one week off without pay, a week of their choosing, over a two-month period, for as long as we would have to do this? Why not Why not let people help me manage this? Well, this was going to put the onus on management to do a lot of cross-training, fill all the gaps. I told my boss about this, and of course... As bosses would usually do, say, Dave, you can do it. You got the latitude, but you still got to get all the results. It doesn't matter. You can do anything you want to do. But this is the way it's got to end up. You can all relate to that. Anybody that's smiling and laughing now has been there. So I had to get the results regardless. Okay, well, he just got a call right there. That's his boss. So I held plant-wide meetings to explain what we were going to do, to explain our predicament, and Human Resources posted schedules for everybody. Everybody's name was up on the bulletin boards, and the schedule was laid out for the next couple months, and I wanted to see who was going to sign up. Would there be any reaction to that? Well, lo and behold, nearly everybody in the plant chose to take a week off without pay, over that two-month period. And this went, it wasn't the same week. It was, it was first. <laughs> yeah, that was management's problem, you know. So I was going to have to straighten some of these things out. But it was self-policing. That was the beauty of this because guys in a department saw when somebody else was taking a week off. So they said, well, we can't operate with that guy and this guy gone. So I'll take, you know, they all did it. They covered for each other. And they set up a committee which they funded themselves to give people money for utility bills, for gas they needed for their car or for groceries, because some people were in dire financial straits. I mean, this one week was important. Now, some there were a few people that couldn't take time off at all. They just said, I can't do it. And so people didn't make a big deal out of that. It was handled to me as how Christians would react. Amazing. Amazing. Now, again, people might say, well, Dave, you sure got lucky again. That that all turned out right. All of our operational metrics were met. You know, we met our deliveries and our quality things and our efficiency things and all the things. And, of course, we, as management, we had to, you know, we had to pull strings and do things and make sure everything was covered. We couldn't just sit home and, and wait for the results. We had to, we were active in this. But the people did it. Now, and you could say, well, you got lucky. No. Again, I saw the hand of God working in a very unexpected, unusual way in a corporate setting where there's every, every manner of belief system there represented, 
uh, good, bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly of humanity is there. And yet these people work together to work through this. And this went on. I had a, meet, a plant-wide meeting with these folks like every couple months, and we went through the same thing, an update, and reposted the schedules, and it went on for about a year this way until we started to come out of the recession. And when we came out, lo and behold, we had all of our employees intact. We had everybody crossed. Everybody was cross-trained. We were all ready to go. We were ready for those orders to come in. So it was no problem ramping up afterwards because everybody was there. We didn't have to rehire. We didn't have to retrain. We didn't have to do anything. And that, what occurred in 2008 for us, remained part of the corporate culture because any new people that came in said, I want to tell you the story about 2008. I want to tell you the story about what happened here. Because one thing I felt very strongly about was that I wanted everybody to have a job as long as they wanted to have a job, as long as they could work, no matter what age they were. And we were going to fight the Chinese and the Mexicans. And we, as Americans, were not going to lose, by golly. And we didn't. We didn't. Another story for another day. But all those people had confidence that Christian, Judeo-Christian morals and ethics were going to be applied. Now, when I retired, one of my most treasured gifts was a book that they gave me, a photo album. And in that photo album was testimonies of people as to how they observed me and how and they're thanking me for leading as a Christian would lead. Many examples of that, which was overwhelming to me. I, I read that not too long ago, and I, I just, again, I feel the hand of God encouraging me, okay, through these people. Because they, you know, I didn't go around beating drums, but, you know, as a disciple, you're, what you, what you do is very important. How you act is very important. I tried to be the disciple that I felt God was calling me to be, where He placed me. And I don't think I did all the things that I should have done. And I don't think I made all the right decisions or said all the things I should have said. But I tried. I tried. I prayed to God that, that He would lead me in those things. So I would urge you to reread the minutes from Jesus' first staff meeting. Reread Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 to be reminded about what Jesus has directed us to do. Maybe God is preparing you for a special situation. Maybe God is placing in front of you a special opportunity with your fellow workers, your peers, your family, your friends. Maybe God is working with you. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would be with each of you to show you, to lead you, and to guide you. Now, Jesus had a shocking and sobering ending to his staff meeting. This is from chapter 7. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Only the one that does the will of my Father in heaven. Talking about it and thinking about it is not enough. Only he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Trust God to lead you and guide you. And trust means you're placing your hands in his hands. You don't know the outcome. There's no guaranteed outcome, but you have faith and trust in him to lead you and guide you for what is best for you. Trust in the Lord 
and lean not on your own understanding. Trust and obey him, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Thank you for inviting me here this morning, for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit of my experience as a disciple of Jesus. Thank you. So first of all, I want to uh, want to thank everybody for being here today. I want to wish you again a very Merry Christmas. Uh, it's a great way to start off the Christmas season, right? And um, uh, I really appreciate Dave sharing his story and talking about how he tried uh, to live as, as a disciple and brought that to work, you know. So uh, it's very encouraging uh, for all of us um, really to just shine the light wherever 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 he may put us, which I think is what you said. So I'm going to ask Dave to close us in prayer. I'm going to ask him to include me and all the sales professionals in the room. All the electric <laughs> <laughs> we do need we do need it. We do need it. I, I do admit we we do tell the truth. There's a lot of room for improvement. Yes, sir. Thank you, thank you, Rock. I appreciate it. So no, no, in all seriousness, no, I enjoyed it very, very much, and I appreciate. Uh, you know, I just think. Uh, uh, I, I just I love hearing people's personal testimony and and how they uh, how they how they've experienced God at work. So thank you very much, Dave, for sharing that with us. A few of my closes of the prayer that would be great. One more time for Dave. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us to send your Holy Spirit among us. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be merciful. Help us to love our enemies. These things are so hard for us, and we can only do it with your help, O oh God. Be with us each day. Those opportunities that you place in front of us, help us to seize them, to feel your presence, to feel your power and your encouragement to follow you. We place our trust and our hope in you always. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody.